Um, also, um, if, if you're wondering, hey, why only a couple songs, um, that's intentional as well. What we don't want to do is kind of create a culture where um, we emotionally get ourselves charged in a, in a manner of trying to make it through a sermon, but we believe that God most clearly, most often, most regularly speaks to us through His Word. And so we save a bulk of our worship through song for after the sermon so that we can worship in response to the expectation that God has spoken to us through His Word. Um, and so uh, as we started Colossians last week, just a little bit of recap to make sure we're on the, on the same page. Um, this is a letter written from Paul. He's in prison, um, most likely arriving in Colossae in the early 60s, so somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D. Um, Colossae is a diverse, kind of cosmopolitan um, place because it's on a major highway, but it's not a significant city. I mean, and whatever significance it's, it's had is kind of waning. Right, and so it's the probably the smallest, uh, most insignificant. A lot of commentators would say church and city that Paul ever writes to. And another interesting just kind of idea about this or fact about this is that Paul actually does not. He didn't plant this church. Um, he is one who led a, a Paphras to faith, most likely in Ephesus. Epaphras is from Colossae, and some eight to ten years earlier, he has planted this church. And now in their first decade, Paul is writing a letter back to them, having only heard about them from Epaphras and others, and is writing to encourage, um, to challenge, and to minister to them as an apostle, as almost a grandfather in the faith, but is not the church planner or pastor himself. So the question I want is just kind of having bouncing around our, our head and our heart this morning is before we jump into this passage, is this, is, is the question... Can we please God? Right? Like as, as individuals in this life, right, between the first coming and the second coming, can we please God? So I think we all probably have had an experience um, um, of being a part of a situation, whether it's with a, an employer or a coach or a parent or an institution, right, where you have sought really hard to earn their, their approval, right? their pleasure in the effort that you're putting forth and the effort that you're putting out on their behalf, and you desperately are seeking it, and you just can't get it. right? You can't earn it. Now, whether it is that you, um, and, and, and I'm assuming here in the situation that you're doing everything you can, and they're just not giving it, right? You just can't satisfy them. You can't make them happy. You can't seem to unlock what it is that will make them look at you and say, hey, good job. And in those situations, right, it's, they're incredibly painful. You know, if it's a family relationship, right, there's, there's a level of frustration and disappointment and brokenness in that. But even if it's simply an employer, right, at a job that you would, would think, hey, I would be good at this and I would enjoy, and yet you cannot make them happy, right, there's pain in that. And you can try over and over and over again, and you can beat your head against the wall, and you can try to run through the wall. And at some point, for, for most all of us, there's a, play, a point where you just kind of throw up your hands and say, okay, I can't do it. I can't earn your affection. I can't earn your approval. I can't earn your pleasure. And so then, depending on your temperament and the situation of life that you're in, we usually go um, a couple different ways, right? For some, it's rebellion. Like, okay, we tried, it to, we tried it to get your approval. That doesn't work. So now watch, right? 
And so whether it's an employer or a parent, right, you just begin to rebel and you make things miserable on them. For others, maybe it's hypocrisy, right? That you're going you're to play the part, right? You're going to look like you're doing your job, but you really loathe them, right? And you do everything you can behind them to destroy the situation, right? Maybe it's that you just become um, indignant. It may be that you simply become, that work or that relationship just becomes drudgery, right? And, and man, you're still doing it. You're still going through the motions. But like, there is no passion. There is no joy. There is no hope. Um, for others, you just walk away. Relationships are done. Employment is done. I'm no longer playing a sport, right? Like you, you just remove yourself from the situation. And now, anytime you imagine a similar situation, you're, it's just a little bit tainted for you. You're affected by it. It has long-term implications. And so when we know that Scripture says things like this, that no one is good, no, not one, and that our righteousness is but as filthy rags, that Jeremiah would say our heart is wicked, right? That it will deceive us. And then we even read in Romans chapter 8, a passage like this, Romans 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so we, we have this kind of, I think, lurking idea in our mind of like, I don't know if I can please God. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but we know that there's some difficulty to it. And what we don't want are those reactions and those responses that we've already seen can happen with an employer or with a coach or with a parent or with a relationship where people now look at their walk with Jesus with drudgery or rebellion or simply leaving or that this person can't be pleased, right? We, we've seen that impact when someone believes they cannot please God, the impact it has on their walk, if they even maintain a walk at all, can be drastic. And the, and the consequences significant. So I want just kind of this idea of can we please God as we begin in verse 9 of Colossians 1. We're still in the opening of the letter as Paul is, is welcoming them, he's, he's encouraging them, he's praying for them. And he says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What like a like a, a powerful, flowery passage is this? Like all these phrases and one-liners in there that you're like, man, there's so much that we can anchor to. But I think if we're not careful, and we mentioned this last week, as we walk through an opening that's just kind of rich and flowery, that you nod your head in agreement, and you're like, okay, but Paul, what's new? Like what's, what's the meat? Like why are you writing this letter? And that we can find ourselves too quickly running through this opening prayer. And so I want us just to spend a little time this morning as we ask this question, can we please God, seeing what Paul is saying as he writes to this encouraging group of believers. We see in verse 9, remember, he hasn't met them, he says, from the day that we've heard, right? we've heard of your faith, we've heard of your church, we've heard of your obedience, we've not ceased to pray for you. Now listen, Paul's not saying, 
I've literally done nothing else but pray for you. What he's saying is, I repeatedly, often pray for you. I didn't just one time pray for you. That when I, that I'm often, I'm thinking of you and I'm praying specific things for you, and I do it consistently. That I'm praying without ceasing. I'm praying consistently on your behalf. It's important for us to note what he doesn't ask for here. Like he's not asking for material things for them. Um, he's not asking for specific things for their community, which is waning in significance, right? He's not asking for, for worldly things for them, right? And, and we're not saying that we, we can never ask for those things. But it's important to note that as Paul is ministering to them, that he is asking for very specific spiritual requests on their behalf, right? I've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and in all understanding, He's like, I want you to understand some things about what God has for you. I want you to understand His character. I want you to understand who He is and His purpose for your life. Paul will write to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1. They'll say that, that Jesus Himself is our wisdom. Right? That, that what he's saying is, I want you to have Jesus. I want you to understand who He is. I want you to understand the depth and significance of His life, of His death, of His resurrection, of His character. And then if you can begin to grasp these things, it's going to have an, like a practical application. As he continues, So I want you to be filled with knowledge of His will and wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This, this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, you could also substitute the word live. I want you to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's the idea of moving forward continually in life, pursuing the things of God. Right? If, if we're not careful, um, in, as we still live in a, a Bible Belt-affected area, that sometimes the Gospel can be viewed as the finish line. Like, you got saved. Whew, you're good. You get to go to heaven someday. Now go do your thing. And what Paul is saying is, no, no, no. Like, it's not that. It's this continued pursuit of Jesus. I want you to continue to walk, to live in faithfulness, pleasing to Him. Right? And so what we're going we're gonna to answer the first question we asked in the affirmative. You can please God. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. This idea of walking. There are multiple paths. Right? We, we see this in Proverbs, that there's the path of the fool and the path of the wise. And the path of the wise right, is is finding wisdom, the way that God has woven society and culture and His truth in, that we live rightly. The path of the fool is continually stumbling into traps and is walking away from God and, and believing himself to be wise in his own eyes. Right? We see in Matthew 7 right, this idea that there's a, a path that's wide and a lot of people find it and it leads to destruction. And there's this narrow path that's hard. And few find it, but it leads to life, right? Like this idea of walking on a path is not just we're all on one path. There are two paths. You're on one or the other. And so are you living in a manner that is making much of Jesus, is pleasing Him, or are you on a path that is foolhardy and is walking away from the things of God? That we can please Him. So how? How? He continues. 
fully pleasing to Him in verse 10. Right? Stop. Here's how. Bearing fruit in every good work. We're just going to kind of stop and look at each of these. He says, I want you to bear fruit in every good work. You were here with us last week. You're going to think about verses 5 and 6, where He says, You have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed to the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So he's now in verse 10 he's saying, the way that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, is that you bear fruit. Like that the gospel is transforming you and it's changing you. It's not just something that you know. It's not just something that you believe. It is affecting you. It's transforming you. It's changing you in every aspect of of life. It's bearing fruit. In Ephesians 2, right, a very similar letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, I want you to, after salvation, in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says this, For we are His workmanship, meaning God's, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is post-salvation. It's not earning salvation. It's not getting God's attention. It's because you're His, because you belong to Him, because you're an adopted son or daughter of the King. Now walk in a manner that shows that you're marked by Him, that you're pleasing Him, that you want to make much of Him. So are you putting off fruit in your life? Like that, That's just a question that we have to ask this morning, is are we becoming more Christ-like? And we're not putting a stopwatch to it, right? Like we're not, we're not comparing ourselves to one another, but we're saying, in my life, if I look back over six weeks or six months or a year or two years, like, can I see that I am growing to look more like Jesus? Do I look more like Him? John 15 will tell us that if we're connected to the vine, right, then life is flowing. If we're connected to Jesus, then Christ-likeness will naturally be flowing through us, and we will put off fruit showing that we're connected to the vine, not that we're a cut-off branch that happens to be lying next to the vine. Right? Um, in Matthew 3, the Pharisees and Sadducees are told, like, you should put off like, repentance that is keeping, like fruit that is keeping with repentance. Like, you should look like someone who knows that you have a need, is confessing sin, and is becoming more gracious and more like Jesus who has rescued you. Are you reflecting the character and the image of God in your life? Are you putting off Christ's likeness? And so he's writing to a group of people who are. And what he's saying is, not good job, you've done it. He's saying, continue. Keep doing it. Keep growing in it. He continues. So bear fruit in every good work. Increase in the knowledge of God. It's not just that you have knowledge that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. It's not just knowledge that God created the world. It's There's more to know about who He is and what He's done. Continue to grow in that knowledge. Listen in Jeremiah chapter 9, how this is described. Beginning in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. 
But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I, de- I delight, declares the Lord. Right? Like the Lord says, look, I'm not impressed because you're powerful or because you're rich or because you're smart. I delight when you look like me. It is a father saying to his children, look like me. Like, trust me, follow me, know me, become like me, and let the world see the impact and the benefit of that for His glory, for our good, and for the good of those around us, so that we're bearing fruit, we're increasing in knowledge. He continues. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Listen, God is a good Father, and He gives you what you need to be successful. He doesn't say, okay, right. this is, this is where we begin to see the difference. He's not a company, right, who says, okay, go do your job. Well, what, what would please you? You figure it out, right? Hey, it's not a, a father looking at a son and saying, okay, go out. I want you to please me. Hey, Dad, what is, what is it you want me to do? We'll see if you do it, right? Like, he's not asking us, he's not setting us up to fail. He empowers us. He gives us what we need to please him, to walk in a manner that's worthy of him. He gives us his spirit. Right? It's when Jesus tells the disciples, it's better for you if I leave, because I'm going to leave the Spirit within you. Like, I'm not just going to be near you. You're going to have the Spirit of God within you. That He empowers us to walk in this manner that would reflect the glory and the image of Jesus. And He's going to continue and give proof of this might and this power. Look at verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's writing the church. He's saying, listen, if you've forgotten that He's able to allow you to walk in a manner worthy of Him, He's already done the work. He's taken you out of a kingdom of darkness, picked you up, plucked you, and put you in the kingdom of light of His beloved Son. He has given you redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has shown His might and His power are you now going to doubt that He can help you walk in a manner worthy of what He's already done to rescue and redeem you? And he's showing the proof of this and telling them, I'm going to give you what you need to walk in this manner worthy of Me. He continues. The end of verse 11. I want you to be strengthened, right? For all endurance and patience, he doesn't qualify what their endurance and patience looks like. He doesn't say in regards to Rome or in regards to health difficulties or in regards to financial difficulties or in regards to a waning cultural social significance. He says, I want you to have patience and endurance by the mighty hand of God for life. Fill in the blank. For what your circumstances dictate in your life, I want you to have patience and endurance for those things, despite your circumstances. So, again, you're going, man, this is hard, but we know that He's giving us um, what we need in the Spirit to empower us. But listen, look down to verse 12 now. Because He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Why are you called to be faithful and to endure? Right? Because you have an inheritance 
waiting on you. Go back to verse, um, verse, verse 5. Last week he says, listen, you have loved people well. Here's how I know you've done it. And here's why you've done it. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Right? Like that they have this idea that they're headed somewhere. That this world doesn't have everything that they need. That they're going somewhere. This isn't home. We're headed there and we have hope and we have peace and we have an inheritance and we're going to be with our Father for all time. So, in the meantime, for a few decades, I can endure. And I can be faithful because I've been empowered, because I've been qualified, because I've been equipped, because God has done the work and now I'm walking in a manner worthy of Him, looking to the day where all tears will be wiped away, where all things will be made right, and I will be with Him Forever. So he's saying, regardless of your circumstances, church, regardless of what the world throws at you, regardless of what the enemy accuses you of, you can head with hope towards heaven with an inheritance because you've got a down payment in the Holy Spirit now. That God keeps his promises, that he is faithful to get us where he is calling us to. So I want you to bear fruit. I want you to increase in knowledge. I want you to know that you're empowered. I want you to endure. And then he ends with this in this section. With joy, giving thanks to the Father at the beginning of verse 12. He says, I want you to joyously give thanks to the Father. Why? Because giving gratitude, joyful gratitude, is showing trust. It's saying, God, I know that you have called me that you've made me, that you have done this mighty work that I could not have done for myself to put me at peace with you, and so I want to give you gratitude. And grumbling shows a lack of trust. That we begin to think our circumstances dictate our present and our future more than King Jesus, who has won victory for us. And so he says, your circumstances don't dictate a win or a loss. I do. And so I want you to rejoice with joy, giving thanks and trust. Church, it's important for us to, to see in this section that God is not setting us up to fail. He's not saying, hey, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of me, but you're not going to be able to do it. That we're able to do it. He is going to equip us. And look at verse 12 again. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's not looking at you saying, figure it out, make me happy. He's saying, you were disqualified. You were an enemy of mine until I qualified you. And then I took you out of this place of darkness and despair, and I brought you into a kingdom of light. And I've given you my spirit, and I've given you redemption, and I've given you forgiveness. Now, sons, daughters, walk like you know me. Walk like you've met me. And that you're empowered by the Spirit of God to please me. He qualifies us, He empowers us, and He tells us it's a process. It's not immediate perfection, right? Because He's telling them, continue to do this. Increase in this. It's not either you have it or you don't. It is a process of sanctification. It's a process. And so recently we were out um, in the in the backyard playing wiffle ball, 
with kids that ranged from like two, we had some neighbors there, to like high school, right? And so one of the kids, you know, hits one out in the street, um, out of the backyard. And then Janner comes up, two years old, and he like swings off a tee and like barely makes contact and it falls right there. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, Janner, yeah. And one of the kids goes, why are you celebrating that? I just hit it in the street. Right? He, he, he's missing the process. That some of us right now in our spiritual walk, metaphorically are hitting it into the street. We've walked with Jesus for a long time. But it's not to beat our chest. Right? Like you have grown in trust and joy and gratitude and rootedness and you've seen the Lord be faithful and so your faith has deepened. And we do not thumb our noses at someone who has just stepped out in faith trusting the Lord who is fumbling quite often. Right? It is a process of growing and increasing knowledge and reflection and obedience of King Jesus. And to know that none of us have stepped across a level of arrival on this side of heaven. That we have more to gain and more to grow and that you can be pleasing Jesus from the start to the finish by trusting Him, by bearing fruit, by looking like Him. And it is not an, an all or nothing situation. It is a process of doing that. Ultimately, what Paul is doing here is he's tying this back into the creation mandate. Remember, what does God tell Adam and Eve in the garden? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Like, take what I've told you and have dominion. Like, be fruitful and multiply. Listen to the language here in Colossians. Then I want you to bear fruit and to increase. He's saying, this is still the mandate of God. To put off fruit that is indicative of me and to increase that others would see it and know it and more would have it so that they could bear fruit, so that God gets the glory, so that others would come to know Him, so that God would get more glory because He is worthy of worship. But in the garden, because of a lack of trust, sin breaks in and it enters. And so we left that perfect place of harmony and we were entered into a dominion of darkness. Where until Jesus rescues you, you, we all reside. Until we are transferred out of that domain of darkness, back into the place that we belong with God, where we can keep the creation mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, to bear fruit and increase, to be with Him, to enjoy Him. Listen, in the domain of darkness, you are enslaved to sin, whether you know it or not. You have a harsh taskmaster. Listen to how Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which, you, in which you once walked. Right, You were on a different path. You weren't pleasing God. You were walking on a different path. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, we carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? That, that is the other path. That whether you know you're on it or not, you are an enemy of God. You are on a, you're in the dominion of darkness until the Lord 
plucks you out and puts you in a kingdom of light. We're enslaved. Like we can't, we can't do anything about it. And Egypt becomes right a literal like metaphor for it, that we have a harsh taskmaster whom they could not please. You, you produce all the bricks I want, I'm going to ask you to produce some more. Right? You, you have babies so that I can have more slaves, well now you're having too many babies. Right? Like you could not please Pharaoh. You could not please that taskmaster. And the kingdom of this world has a, has a taskmaster that you cannot please. Your sin will never satisfy you. And it will give you fleeting pleasure so that you'll want more and you'll find that you cannot satisfy it. You're enslaved to it until by the effort, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, you are transferred out of it by His might into a kingdom where you can please God. And His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And He's done the work and He equips you then to look like Him. Right? That, those are the two kingdoms in contrast to one another. And so he is writing now to a church under the Roman authority. And so the question that he's asking them and that we need to ask ourselves this morning as we end is this. Is who are you walking to please? Like who are you living to please right now? Because they lived under Rome, right? Where there was false worship and devotion expected of everyone, right? You worship the emperor. It's like, who are you pleasing here? Is it Rome or is it King Jesus? Where you either lived in opulence, right? You had all of your desires offered to you, right? Rome is known for its opulence. Or it was on your back that others lived in opulence. Or that you were enslaved to those things. Or is it life under ourself, our culture? Church, right now, there are two ways our culture is calling you to follow them and to live to please them. You can be a patriot and be about right America as a nation being the, the kingdom of God. And so you're called to give everything to please the red, white, and blue. Or you can follow a progressive right way of like, hey, there's this ever-changing cancel culture that we've got to do everything about. And you're like, I can't keep up. I can't, right? Both of them we can't please because neither of them are Jesus. And both of them are harsh taskmasters that are going to call you to more and to more and to more, right? And you're going to become enslaved to one or the other. And listen, there are things to laud in both. And there are things to condemn in both. But Jesus says there's another way. That you can belong to the citizenship of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so you can applaud the nation and the freedom that God has put you in, but it's not king, I am. And you can want to see others not hurting and serve them and love them like Jesus did, right? But that they need Jesus. Not just social needs met. Right? It's calling us to see that there's more to live. There is another way. And that's what Paul is going to do in Colossians. Is He's setting up and saying, which path are you on? Is it living under Rome? Are you enslaved to the, the, the Pharaoh of this world, our enemy, the devil? Are you mindlessly thinking that you're in control of your own life? What's your dupe into that? So are you following the nationalist way in Rome? Are you following yourself? Are you following false teachings, which he'll get into? 
Or are you going to follow the one who is able to take you out of the dominion of darkness into a kingdom of light so that you can please God for all your days until you get to go celebrate and gain your inheritance with Him for all time? Like That is the question before us this morning and in the letter to the Colossians. And you can come and know Him. And like a good father, He will enjoy seeing you seek to emulate Him. He will not go, are you kidding me? I could do it so much better. He'll celebrate a son and a daughter taking their first steps to image a good father. Because it shows that we trust Him, that we love Him, that you can see Him, that you know Him, that you follow Him, that you trust Him. The church... That's, that's our, our two-week intro into this letter. That we would now walk and see what the Lord would have for us and that we would see a big cosmic King Jesus who is calling us to trust His rule, His reign, and His authority over all others. If this morning He's saying, yeah, come to me, respond to Him. He's a good Father. You can please Him. He's good. Let's pray. Father, you God, you're, you're pleased by the efforts of your people. Lord, not in gaining salvation, or that's religion, but in imaging a father who they know and they trust and they love. And just like a mother or a father celebrates a newborn just as they celebrate a toddler trying to walk who can't yet run. Lord, in, engaging in a hobby that they are just beginning to put a finger in and yet the parents know to the nth degree. God, that you don't expect um, perfect emulation. You don't expect perfect um, reflection. God, that you allow us to grow up as sons and daughters reflecting your image. Because you've already secured perfection for us. You've already secured salvation for us. You've already qualified us. And so now we can walk in the freedom of that. God, help us to move out of a religious mindset that says we have to earn it and we have to keep it, but instead that we would walk in a manner that says, I know my Father and I trust Him and I'm becoming more like Him. God, would we celebrate that in the lives of those who have just come to know you? even when it looks awkward? And would we not beat our chest because we think we have it together, but to give gratitude and thanks with joy? In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.